Time for another rousing edition of Speak of the Devils, our weekly podcast. Matt Lachlan along with Amanda Stein. And it is so good to have everybody joining us. And Amanda, it's good to be with you again. The Devils have prided themselves on rebuilding the organization. And we read about the depth of the players and where they're being ranked. And as the Devils have elevated themselves in terms of that depth, a lot of excitement for what's on the horizon. But it does take a village, doesn't it? And the Devils have been building that. It's been they've been building that village. And we're going to spend some time with those uh, village people. Yeah, it's funny, Matt, because the first people I really met within the Devils organization when I was deciding to join is I arrived in New Jersey for a development camp just to see what it was like. Um, And so I got to know a lot of the development coaches, maybe less so what they really do and more so, you know, about the personalities and who they are. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation with a couple of our development people in the franchise and just to really know what goes into building years ahead, right? Into what these players can offer in the future with an NHL franchise. Yep. Development is so critical. So we will not go to the YMCA for these village people. (laughs) We'll just bring them in. Oh no, you didn't do that. (laughs) I did. I I, I went there, but quickly we will move to bring in our guests, uh, Scott Clemenson and Amy Kimball. Amy Kimball, Scott Clemenson, welcome to the podcast. So glad that you could join us. And I know we're excited about the fact that our fans are going to get to know a little bit more about you, your roles in the development of players and making this franchise a little better. So thanks very much for giving us some of your time. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us, guys. So, Scott, I'm going to start with Amy because I think many Devils fans, whether they're new to the family, so to speak, or longtime fans, would recognize what you do uh, and what you've done being a former player and, and now involved on the development side as the goaltending uh, development coach. But Amy, people have heard about you. They've read about your impact and how important you are to the team. But just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and clear up any misconceptions that people might have about someone who's the director of player and team development. It's a fancy title for saying I do a lot of little things that are behind the scenes. So the way I see my job is helping players connect with the resources that are going to help them be successful. And so a big part of what I do is helping them work on the mental side of the game. Because one of the things that I always tell them is the more mentally consistent you are, the more physically consistent you are. And to make it as a pro player, your game has to be consistent. They need to know that they can trust you to put you out there on the ice. And many of these players get to this level based on skill, speed, size, and they haven't always worked on the mental side of the game. And so getting them to recognize how important it is, but then also helping them with a lot of the transitional stressors that come with going from being one of the best to having to work your way up in the lineup again. So a lot of little things involved with that. We'll be able to peel some of that back as we go on, but why did the world turn away from the term sports psychologist. I remember when it came in and there were many people went like, oh, okay, sports psychologist. And then as we saw the success that some players had uh, by being able to converse with sports psychologists and better their game, it was more acceptable. But now that term's not used as much as it once was. How come the change? 
Well, a couple of reasons. One is um, some people aren't licensed psychologists. So I'm not a licensed psychologist. I don't deal with mental health. So I can't claim to do that. And I don't. We refer any mental health issues out. And the other reason is because sometimes psychology has a bad rep. Like you, you think about it in terms of there's something wrong with me and I need to fix it. So a lot of times we call it peak performance training, mental training, because you want athletes to be able to see it much like they would anything else. So they're used to skills training. They're used to training in the weight room. But so by calling it mental training, it helps them realize it's something that they need to work on. And it's part of the whole process as well. Have you found that over the years, players have been more receptive to reaching out? You know, there's a different type of athlete, let's say maybe 10, 15 years ago to who these players are now. Yeah, so when I started in the NHL about 15 years ago now, it was hard to get players to want to see me and have their coach know about it. So sometimes they would hide it almost. But one of the things we really tried to do here and where I was before is make sure players understand that this is part of the process, that much like a coach would say, if you need to work on your diet, go see a nutritionist. If you need to work on your mental game, go see Amy. And so we've really normalized it, that it's not a taboo thing, that it is part of it. And I think now, because sort of worldwide, it's more normalized, that people understand that this profession even exists, that there's people they can go to just to sort out what's in their head, and also to prevent problems from occurring. So whereas psychology, there's often a problem you need to fix with working on the mental game, you can prevent issues from even happening. So developing the right mindset overall. And I think players recognize that that's a key component to their success overall. Clemmer, when you were playing, when did this sort of help uh, assistance come into being? And of course you, you broke in with the devils and uh, you know, it was a different world back then. So when did it start coming on your radar? Well, I was, uh, you know, I was very lucky. Uh, I knew it back then and I look back and I know it now, uh, just entering the devil's organization, because at the time when I started my pro career in the fall of 2001, uh, I believe that devils were the only team that had a full-time goalie coach, uh, in the AHL. Uh, and that was Chris Terreri. Um, so to have a guy like that working with me every day, uh, I felt very lucky at the time, uh, because I believe uh, it, the devils were the only team that had that. Uh, and now as you move more into to my role and in knowing, you know, some of the other teams now are actually filling that role more in uh, having that full-time goalie coach like we will be doing here actually moving forward in, in New Jersey and with, with Binghamton. Uh, my role as goalie development coach has sort of been all-encompassing. So I've, I've, ex- I've had, I have assumed that role in the past. Um, I won't in, in the future because we actually have hired just now uh, this past summer a full-time goalie coach in the minors. But when you say, when did it kind of come to be? Um, I think, to be honest with you, uh, at the NHL level, it's only been about 20 years or so that they've had full-time goalie coaches in the NHL. And the American League level, um, it's still um, is only a, a, a portion of the league that has a full-time guy there. But most of the league has someone like I said, like myself, a development guy that's that's in and out of there uh, quite frequently, but not there every day. And and that's something we're going to get uh, deeper and deeper into. But I just want to circle back to someone serving in Amy's yeah. role. The Devils did have someone in that role, but maybe not as 
around. Not that Amy's here all the time. She's not. She comes in and out. She she lives out in uh, Western PA, but she's available all the time. But the Devils did have someone sort of in that role, did they not? They had someone in the role, I guess, um, previously, but um, it was. I think it was more of a. Uh, I don't want to speak on behalf of the organization, but I think it was more like an outsourced type of a situation, right? Uh, instead of in-house, full-time. So, so that's on, where on it's changed, right? It, oh, it's yeah, much yeah. more an integral part oh, of what yeah, yeah. you're yes. doing, what the organization is doing. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. And, 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 uh, you know, our, uh, our, uh, setup and, and our staffing, uh, is going to be a little bit different. I think every NHL team's, uh, staffing is a little bit different and unique from, from the next. So everyone's not all lined up. I think most of the jobs, obviously the pertinent ones, uh, are there, but, um, how much staff they have, who they carry, um, all that's, you know, it's, it, it differs from, from organization to organization. And then, Obviously, uh, there are different factors for that, whether it's, uh, it's a payroll or, uh, you know, what uh, the, the vision that the ownership has for the organization, the GM, uh, some philosophies like that, that are going to, you know, form your, you know, your staff that you would have um, within every, you know, each organization. But, um, but yeah, this is, needless to say, though, um, the, in the grand scheme of things, the, I would say the staff that every organization has, not just the Devils. Every organization in the league, the staff is probably almost doubled compared to where it was 10, 15 years ago, to be honest with you. How much as a development coach do you lean on someone like Amy or try and, you know, talk to, for you, you're working with the goaltenders to sort of, you know, allow them that, not allow them, but, you know, let them know that that resource is there for them and do you say like for particular things or how do you sort of use those two departments together? Well, I try and take care of it myself. And if I can't handle it, then I, I shove it onto Amy's desk. <laughs> <laughs> he gives me the tough ones. <laughs> uh, no, it, you know what? Uh, we have these resources available to, to all the players. Uh, and we have this resource available to me as a coach, right? right. Um, so I'm de- dealing, obviously, a lot with the, the sports side of it, or the, the physical, sorry, this physical side mm-hmm. to it, the nature, the technical aspects of goaltending, yeah, there's some, uh, you know, there's some of the, the mental side too, where um, that's a big part of what we do in, in training. And to assist me in that matter, I've got Amy there, you know, so I encourage right. all our athletes, uh, whether they're in Binghamton, the prospects, uh, whatever, it, whatever the case may be is, here's the resources that we have. Here's how, you know, Amy can help you. Here's how Amy can help me help you. Um, let's use everything that we have here. So um, it, it becomes, uh, you know, it becomes sort of a, a teamwork within the development staff, obviously. Um, but trying, you know, kind of staying in our own lanes as well, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, we, we obviously, we, we need each other to be successful, I believe. Yeah, I think it's really important that we all work together and Clem does a really good job with that because as we know, most goalies have something they need to work on in their their mental game. It's a really tough position and they need to be really mentally consistent. And so Clem and I have frequent conversations just about all of the goalies and what they might need and what they're going through. and same with the other development coaches, just keeping keeping in good communication with each other about what's happening with all of our players, whether it's a goalie, a forward, somebody in-house, somebody who's still a prospect. I think big part of development is looking at everybody within the organization and seeing how we can work together to make sure that person is 
getting the help that they need, whether it's on the ice or off the ice, so that they can be successful as a pro. One of the times where we see pretty much all the development staff and you, Amy, as well, like with us in or at Prudential Center is is development camp, right? And so obviously we didn't have one this year given the circumstances, but you are really, you know, planning all that and what you want these activities to be. So can you take us through sort of what are the important elements when you're working with these players and what you want them to take out of a very jam-packed seven days? Yeah, so development camp. I'm sad that we missed it this year. I missed our ping pong tournament that we have. Yeah. <laughs> very, very heated. Um, but we'll sit down as a development staff and talk about what are some of the things that we see players facing today that they might that might need to be addressed. So for some of them, they don't know how to cook. So one year we made sure they had a cooking class. Um, last year, we decided they needed just general help with life skills. So we had a life skills scavenger hunt that we set up. And so they had to interact. I know, Amanda, you got to be part of it, did some communication training with them. (laughs) We taught some of them how to set a table and just little things that as adults, they should know, but we we didn't want to take for granted that we did because I think a lot of times there's assumptions that these players know how to write a check and many of them don't. So, and we also wanted to introduce them to various staff members in a unique way. And so they got to run around the building, seeing where people's offices were and meeting them. But as a staff, we came up with the ideas that here's the things that they need to communicate better with or interact with each other. Um, One of the whole themes of development camp is teaching the players the characteristics we think are essential in our organization, what the culture of the organization is. And one of the main parts of that is competition. So the lot of the activities we plan revolve around competition, whether it's go-kart racing, ping pong tournament, um, doing little things like that. And they get points for drills that they do on the ice. So they'll be on ice competitions with the three on three games. And so I don't plan any of the on ice event that's left up to the people that can skate much better than I can. Um, but I do all the camp counselor kind of stuff, the, the fun activities I like to say I get to organize, but it is based on what do these players need? What kind of education can we give them and what can we teach them about our organization? From day one to let's say day seven, do you really see guys, I mean, you can both answer this, do you see guys come out of their shell that maybe, or like a personality that surprises you? Oh, for sure. Like they come in, some of them, it's their first camp. They're really nervous. They don't know anybody, but by the end, they're all buddies and friends because they've been forced to work together to learn about each other. They eat their meals together, hang out. So I I see a a big difference just in them getting to know each other as people too, especially the end talent show. You get to see a lot about a player's personality in the talent show. And that one stays behind closed doors. There's (laughs) no video. There's nothing involved with that. Yeah, it's strict (laughs) rules. Uh, Clem, what about for you in terms of just like seeing how those off the ice things that Amy prepares helps these guys on the ice? Yeah, for sure. And just to to reiterate, I, I agree with Amy. Obviously, uh, development camp for me is uh, first off, it's to uh, lay out those expectations. Uh, you know, if you leave there at the end of the week and you don't know what it means to be a New Jersey Devil, then we haven't done our job. Uh, 
it, it's a chance for the players to come in, especially the new ones, to get a barometer as where where are they at, where how are they uh, in terms of their peers. These are the guys that they're going to be fighting for for jobs in the NHL. Um, and so we get a you know getting them in there. First off and foremost, it, it is. It's hey, this is why we drafted you. Everyone is there for a reason. Someone believed in you in this organization. This is what it means to be a devil. This is what we expect of you. And now also, this is how how we're going to help you. Uh, and this is what um, you can expect from us, right? Uh, and it's also because the the development job is is very unique in which you're not dealing with a team. You're dealing with players that we have drafted, but they play in different parts of the world. And you're constantly chasing these guys around, either on the phone or flying out to flying all over the place to see these guys. The development came now is was now they're all in one spot, right? And so now that's my my uh, my time now as coach to have all those prospects there at the same time. Now I can sit with them each individually within a seven day span, go over, you know, show them some clips, you know, get my hands on them because after they leave, and a lot of these players when they leave development camp at the end. Uh, they're going to go and we're not going to see them again until next development camp. Right. Uh, and so then that's when, you know, you're, you know, you're kind of uh, handing them over to their junior team's coach and hopefully, you know, relying on them to, to develop them a little bit. And that's where um, that's why we always say, you know, like it, it's very important job as we're ushering them in and they turn pro now all of a sudden, you know, now it's like, we, we, we got you every day. We know where you're at. Uh, you're in Binghamton or wherever, and we got our coaches there. Um, so it's a, obviously it's a, it's a, it's an important step, um, in their development process. And so obviously that's why, why we have jobs, but, uh, the development camp is, it's a, it's a very fun week and I'm sorry we missed it this year, uh, you know, this year we do, Amy does a great job of setting up a lot of fun activities away from the rink and you know, we have the, the rink activities and on ice competitive stuff. And then um, usually in the afternoons and at night, Amy does a good job of setting up a uh, little, and they might be and they're competitive too. Um, we did ax throwing one year, right? We go to the Yankees game, stuff like that, which, uh, you know, it's a lot of fun. Going to have to get them to go to a Mets game sooner or later. It's always the Yankees, Yankees, Yankees. <laughs> I hear about it all the time, and I'm a Mets fan. So let's hope that we make some visits to uh, to City Field. Uh, two questions. One is you both said about being a devil. What what is being a devil all about? Can you tell us what that organization's philosophy is? And then going through the fact that there was no development camp this year, both of you, how things have changed and ha- what impact that might have moving forward on players who don't get that entree to what being a devil is all about. You want to take it, Amy, or you want me to go first? Well, you've been a devil longer than I have, so I'll let you go first. <laughs> well, well, first first off, uh, the driver of the culture within our organization, obviously it starts from the top down. You know, it's that's with expectations from management and the GM. But the main driver, on boots on the ground, is going to be your head coach at the NHL level. Um, and when you have a guy like Lindy Ruff who's been around, he's, been, he's got a lot of experience, coached a lot of players, He's going to be the main driver of what's expected of the players at the NHL level. And that's going to filter all the way down. And that's why we teach them. And this is how we play off of our head coach. Uh, and, and when John Hines was here, he was excellent. He was one of the best coaches I've ever seen at installing a culture within a team and holding the guys accountable to that. Um, and so 
Now, obviously, we, John Hines isn't here anymore. We have Lindy, but now our job as a staff, especially the development staff, because like I said, these players are playing for other teams. Our job is to now instill that culture. What does it mean to, to be a devil? Well, I know, um, like I said, ownership, you know, when Ray and Fitzy and, and everyone was here, uh, you know, hasn't changed. The expectations haven't changed. Now, maybe it's a little bit different from, okay, um, from having uh, John Hines to Elaine Nazardine to Lindy Rothman. It's a little bit different, but all in all, it is going to be, you know, pretty similar. But uh, in, in development camps in the past, we're going off of say, okay, well, hey, this is what John Hines expects and this is what he wants. This is why these words are written on the wall. You know, it's about competing. Uh, it's about sticking up for one another, this brotherhood mentality that he instilled. Um, it's about being adaptable and having some grit in your game on the ice and off the ice. Um, things of that nature where, um, you know, these are words that, you know, John Hines put on the wall. And so it's not like, hey, this isn't just something, this is what we live by. Uh, and that's what I mean when I say, hey, this is at the beginning uh, and it goes all the way through to the end. And now the challenge this year is that that stuff is still here and it's still available, but it's still, in a, or sorry, it's still applicable, but it's now, it becomes now Lind Lindy Rupp's responsibility to instill this of what the organization, uh, starting from the big club down, what it is. And so now you referred to it, to Amanda, the challenge was not having that this year is now for us as a development staff is meeting, especially with those new players, especially with the new players, but it goes for everyone now instilling, okay, what is, what are our core values as a team uh, that we are going to play by and that we're going to live by at the NHL level. And now we're going to expect that all throughout our organization. And so you're playing off that first and then you're kind of going individually. So for like myself, you know, one, so I have core values for, for myself that I picked up as a player that I'm now instilling in, in all the goalies throughout the organization. But it starts from day one when you're an unsigned prospect. You know, and those are little things like being adaptable, being a good teammate, coming to, to work and practicing with a purpose. Um, you know, your, your habits have to supersede your motivation when you come to the ring. You know what I mean? Um, and there's a whole list of things. I don't want to bore everyone, but there's a whole list of things that actually that I expect from you. And I know Lindy, Lindy Ruff expects from you. And I know Mark Dennehy expects from you. And this is part of being a pro, right? And if you can't do this, we'll get someone else who can. Right? <laughs> um, but it becomes, hey, this is what it means to be in pro. That's what's said. This is what our job is all about is ushering these guys in. But uh, but I would like to point out, though, that these things, the, the core values of our organization, they have nothing to do with your talent level. Right. They have nothing to do with your talent level. So when we're going through this and at the end of the week, you know, I like to point out the fact that say, listen, what do you, you guys want to know? How are you going to make the NHL? Well, we have instilled in you what what we're, what's expected of you, what our core values are, what the culture is going to be like. And I could tell you from firsthand experience as a player and seeing it. And the devils are a great example of this because we have an undrafted uh, free agent signing on our team. We have a sixth rounder on our team. We have fifth rounders on our team, right? So we don't have a, a team full of these first rounders, right? You guys want to know, the players want to know, how do I make the NHL? Well, you do these things, they require zero talent. These are, this is what's expected of you and they require zero talent. Doesn't matter if you're a first rounder, seventh rounder, undrafted. I don't care who you are. You can make the NHL 
by living by this and doing this. You don't have to be the most talented guy in the room. If you've got grit, if you've got the, the will, the ability to, to practice every day with the purpose, those good habits that supersede your motivation on those days when you're not highly motivated, that's how you can make the NHL. And we've got guys, we've got Will Butcher, undrafted, free agent signing. We've got Jesper Bratt, six-round pick. You know, We've got guys like that in our lineup. We're a great example of how that happens. Um, and I think that that's, you know, uh, like I said, that's the main thing for me in instilling in these players just in general, but obviously uh, through, through development camp. Amy, Scott mentioned something in particular that I, I wanted to touch on, and it's the transition from one coach to another while maintaining, you know, those certain core values that uh, Scott was talking about. So in what way did maybe Lindy reach out to you or you reach out to Lindy to make sure that the development staff is on the same page and you can lean on each other? What was that sort of scenario like? Yeah, so Lindy and I have spoken a couple of times now, and he's a wonderful guy. I'm excited to get to know him even more. And they're in the middle of their coaches' meetings this week. And one of the things that they're developing right now as a staff is what what is their DNA? Who are they going to be as a team? Because a lot of times, yes, you have words on the wall, but it you kind of have to live and breathe it, like Scott was alluding to. And so he's in the process of figuring out what that is. And we've talked a little bit about some of those traits, particularly for this season, what's going to be important. And one of the ones I offered to him was the idea of being resilient and adaptable because Lord only knows what the season's going to look like. Hopefully it happens at some point, but it's going to be different. And so if you're a player that has zero flexibility, and likes routines and likes the the normal rhythm of a season, it's going to be truncated and it's going to be different. And so understanding that they need to be resilient to whatever the situation is, who's ever in the lineup, whatever happens, they need to be able to roll with it a little bit, but still have routines that allow them to create the mindset that they want. So for me this year, I think resilience is key. I think competitiveness will never change in my mind. You have to have that in a player. It's something we look at when we're interviewing players at the combine. We're trying to profile players to see who we bring in. I need a competitive player because I don't think you can teach competitiveness later on. You can teach competitive behaviors, but that internal compete needs to be there because with a shortened season, that first game matters significantly more than when you have a a longer season. So resilience and competitiveness. And then I think that ability to just have each other's backs as a team and fill in and do whatever is needed. So that self-sacrifice, I think is going to be pretty important this year as well. Um, Some other qualities that I always look for are persistence and passion for the game. Somebody who's internally motivated and pushes himself and doesn't need to be pushed. But I think when you're building a team, it's not just a group of talented players. You really have to look at some of these characteristics and values that they all have and understanding how one person and one bad apple can negatively impact the team. So everybody does have to be on the same page with it. Toward your point about loving the game, the thing I found out when I first started covering the Devils way back when is that not everybody does love the game. They're good at it. And it's gotten them to the highest level, the best league in the world. But the degree of loving the game does vary. And not everyone loves it. It's, and so it, it, it was interesting. It was an eye-opener for me to find out that some guys are like, eh, yeah, I mean, I'm playing. I'm playing hard. I want to keep my spot. 
but that love of the game varies uh, so much. Not everyone does love the game. But what's the difference between being innately competitive, Amy, and, and competitive behaviors that you said can be taught? Yeah. So if you look at any of my kids, they're competitive. They, it doesn't matter what it is. They get mad at tic-tac-toe, but being competitive means I'm going to do everything it takes to succeed. And you will go after that puck. It doesn't matter. You don't think twice about it. It's just part of what you need, what needs to happen. Whereas some people might not like the physicality. They don't like to get hit. And so you might, teach them you have to do these things in order to do your job. So they might not want to do it and it doesn't just come out of them. So they have to, you have to create a habit of being physical, getting in the dirty areas, that kind of thing. And so we, we talk about it a lot, both with the scouting staff, as well as with all the coaches about what competitiveness looks like. How do you know somebody's competitive? And then trying to get that instilled in the players to create it as a habit if it's not just a natural thing that they do. I would think for a scout that that's eye-opener because from a layman's perspective, I would say, well, that kid that I'm watching, and it's the hardest thing to translate how they'll develop. It's, It's art and science. But he's not going to the dirty area, so he's not competitive. So how can you find out he is competitive, but my eye test is saying he's not going in the corner after that puck? Well, it's hard because sometimes there's a lot of factors at play there. So it might not be that, it might be more that he's afraid. So let's say he's somebody who's overcoming an injury or who has, is a little bit injured while he plays, and maybe the scouts don't know that. And so they can make assumptions about it. Um, and so really the more they get to know the player, the easier it is to assess his competitiveness, really talking to coaches, teammates, getting to know what he's really like. So you can match up what you're hearing about him with what you're actually seeing too. And then there's different tests and questions we can ask them as well. But, um, generally I always caution them to make sure that they're really their eyeball test is showing whether or not they're competitive or not and looking at other factors behind that. Clemmer, how do you see that in a goaltender? Like what are the things you're looking for in a goaltender in that sense? Yeah. And I, and I always say, uh, you know, scouting's hard. Let me tell you, <laughs> scouting is very, very, very difficult for uh, regardless of position, but you know, in a goal, I always said that there's, you know, there's two kinds of, of com- competitiveness Uh, that you kind of see or that presents itself. And it's like the physical, you know, nature of it, obviously. And then there's the mental and, you know, some of that competitiveness and from a physical aspect is just, you know, how aggressive uh, goalies are and how, you know, a lot of times during the game, there's going to be traffic in their crease and how, how do they fight through that? Do they just kind of succumb or do they fight their way through it when they get run into or, or someone's like in their way, how do, do they compete? on that second puck, you know what I mean? Like there are times as a goalie, I know you, you give up a rebound, the puck's laying there and you know, the guy's just going to like bang it in. He's standing right there. Do you just give up and say, Oh man, this is in Or Do you like really dive, dive over there, do something, do something, play to the very end. You know what I mean? Uh, that's a, an example of physical competitiveness It's just a guy that's just like, you know, he's spitting nails out there almost, you know, but you can't say, you know, when people used to say, well, Tim Thomas is so competitive and he, you could see it, you know, it was very easy to see his competitiveness. Well, Carey Price is a very calm goal. It doesn't mean he isn't any less competitive. He just has a, a different style, calm style, right? But 
Carey Price is going to be a guy that battles to the end, right? And you're going to be able to see that in his game. And then the mental competitiveness really is, especially in a goal, is very easy to tell when goalies give up a bad goal. Right. How is he going to react afterwards? Uh, that's that's a very easy one to see. Um, you can tell goalies some obviously some, some goalies get frustrated and bang their sticks and whatever, and uh, some body language uh, that you know, hey, they're competitive. Can they control it as well? So there's a lot of stuff that goes into this thing. And uh, just a quick story um, about competitiveness, and this is a great one, and it shows a little bit about the character of this player. You know, when we're looking at um, who should we draft the number one overall pick a few years ago? You know, I, I didn't see this, um, but the way Ray Shiro told the story, you know, they were watching, you know, Nico Hiche play in Halifax and they watched the game that he played and they were losing the game. They pulled the goalie. Uh, they were down by like two goals, I think. And the other team was about to score another uh, empty net goal. And they watched Nico hustle as hard as he can to skate back and he dives into the goal. You know what I mean? So that the guy wouldn't score a, an empty net goal to lose six to three instead of five to three. You know what I mean? And they asked him about that. You know, and he was like, you know, I don't want to get scored on, you know, out there. And um, you know, I just think it shows a great competitive uh, spirit in Nico and, and, and some of his character as well. And so, uh, you know, I think that that's a great story. And these are the things that uh, we, uh, you know, as an organization, especially your general manager, this is the stuff that he wants to see. And those are the, those are the people you want in your locker room. I mean, when you say that about Nico, I mean, I guess it's no different at the NHL level. So everything went okay because we see that at the level with him right now. When, you know, the last two years, we've really seen a development in the goaltending position with New Jersey and the emergence of Mackenzie Blackwood. What are you most proud of when it comes to who he's developed into in this young, you know, part of his career? He's just getting off the ground. Yeah, right. No, uh, I'm very happy for, for McKenzie. You know, he's put a lot of time in. And, and I think what I'm most proud of is that, you know, he went through a lot of uh, tough situations, uh, you know, early in his career. Um, you know, I mean, at one point, you know, he was in the East Coast League, right? Yeah. Um, and so I think what I'm most proud of is that he, you know, he stuck with it. Uh, you know, he put that time and he had to go through all those frustrations. But he 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 believed in the process, and I, I think that's I think that's what I'm most proud of. It. I remember, um, I remember a couple of years ago. I mean, it was second or third year. At the end of the season, um, we did we did not make the team in Binghamton. He got sent down to play in the playoffs uh, in the East Coast. Right, well, he was playing in the East Coast. He had just finished that year in Binghamton. I think he finished dead last in save percentage. To be honest with you. Um, you know, we weren't a great team in Binghamton and that, to be honest with you, that accelerated some of his development, to be honest with you, playing on a, on a weaker team. Um, I think second to last to McKenzie that year, coincidentally, was a guy like Charlie Lindgren, who's also on the cusp of making the NHL. Um, so I remember him playing in the, in the East Coast League that year and he played a game, was watching the game and at the end of the first period, he got run into and basically, uh, you know, he's hurt his leg. Uh, if it was me, a player ran right into his leg. McKenzie's such a big, strong guy. If it were me, it would have broke my leg in half. But anyway, so he's in the locker room. The end of the season, he just finished, you know, his, his, his uh, season in Binghamton as having like the worst save percentage in the league. 
Uh, now he's in the East Coast League. Now he's hurt, and he's sitting there in the locker room. The game's still going on. I left the stands, went down to the locker room, the East Coast. No one's in the locker room. He's got his equipment off. He's got an ice bag on his leg. He's watching, you know, from the, the monitor in the locker room, and we're sitting there. That His season's over, you know, and this was in, I think this was in April uh, of that year. Uh, you know, and, and he, I just remember this, this, uh, you know, that moment quite vividly, you know, and he was like, you know, he's down on himself and he's, you know, I think I'm doing the right thing. And, you know, I remember telling him like, listen, you are, you know, like the, the results might vary, but the process has to remain the same. And so you go back to that, that was in April and then throughout the summer gets into training camp. And I believe that was the same year that now looking into, uh, no, I think it was November that he yeah. made his NHL debut and started, started playing those games. And then I think shortly after me, it might've been in uh, mid November around Thanksgiving time, even, you know, it picked up his first NHL shutout. And now all of a sudden he's like, man, I'm an NHL goalie, you know? And it was just, I think that was, <laughs> and that was probably what I'm most proud of is just, from a short six, uh, six, seven month span, he's going from like really like disappointed, like literally ending his season with an ice bag on his leg in the East Coast League, all the way six, seven months later, you know, he's, he's in the NHL getting shutouts, you know. Yeah. Can I add something here too? Yeah, yeah, go, 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 yeah. Behind the scenes on Clem, he's like the goalie whisperer here. <laughs> and I, I think this is why it's important to understand how, how key development coaches are as mentors for these young players because people like Clem and Riz and Wino, they're able to sit and talk to these players and say, it's okay. We've all been through that. We've been there, done that. How can I help? And so it's really important. I, I find for these young players to know that somebody has their back and it's totally altruistic. There's nothing in it for Clem other than to help these guys make it. Because to see these young guys succeed and reach their dreams, I mean, that's the best feeling in the world. And, you know, like Clem does a lot with these guys, all of our development coaches, the time and energy they put into them is great. Just the constant communication, the relationships they've built. And so they've ha they have that trust. So when they get to Binghamton, they get to the NHL, they always have someone that they can turn to for that type of support. And, and so I think it's important to recognize how key of a, a role that is within the organization. Wino and Riss are Eric Weinrich and Patrick Rissmiller, respectively, and they are members, key members, key cogs in the Devils developmental staff. There were changes in the goaltending staff, both at the big league club, uh, Scott, but also changes. I don't know if it's in philosophy, but we've added people to the goaltending family. Can you tell us a little bit about why those changes were made, what you expect uh, from Dave Rogalski up top, but also why the changes were made and what we might see moving forward? Yeah, right. Well, first off, um, we've uh, created one of the things we've done here in, in New Jersey and good on uh, ownership and, and Fitzy to, to invest in this, uh, you know, in this area and this, in this role being, I would think was, probably the most important role, obviously I'm biased, most important position out there. Right. But, um, so one of the things we did, there's only year, one that plays <laughs> the whole game. One yeah. guy, there's only two on the team. Come on. You're right. Uh, but very specialized, right. Very specialized position. But, uh, you know, one of the changes we didn't make was create more of a department, a goalie department. Uh, and this is something that, uh, is a little, 
you know, we think is a little more forward thinking uh, and, and, and evolving uh, with the position. Uh, you know, some other teams have a similar structure as well. Uh, and it really started with, uh, you know, some philosophies that have been, have been around in the goalie, goalie world for a couple of years. Um, and then, but it really kind of got more, uh, more legs and more attraction when Marty Broder joined back, coming from uh, New Jersey back over here, or coming from St. Louis back over here to New Jersey. Uh, and so now his role has been a little more heightened uh, on the hockey operations side. And so it's really started with him and getting this thing started and going. Uh, one of the new roles that I'm going to take on is be more of a, a director of the development and operations of the whole goalie, new the new goalie department. I said, as I mentioned before, uh, we did hire a um, full-time goalie coach for Binghamton, which is great. Um, Roly Melanson, our goalie coach here in New Jersey the past three years, has uh, retired, and he's earned that right, rightfully so. So we brought in. He's uh, on David. a fishing boat somewhere right now as we <laughs> yes, record he is. this. For sure. yes, he is. Far away from people you know, catching fish. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, but so, but yeah, we hired uh, Dave Rogalski, was another hire that we made this summer. Um, Dave was a goaltending uh, development coach for uh, St. Louis. Um, another guy, and I've worked with him and I've known Dave for a long time, our uh, new Binghamton uh, goalie coach, Brian Eklund, uh, was a goalie coach at Boston University for the past four or five years, Harvard before that. Um, he's another guy that I've known for a while now. Obviously, the goalie world very small. <laughs> everyone knows everyone. but um, So it's a, it's a good group. Uh, and Dave, I think, is going to do a, a great job. And Brian is going to do a great job as well uh, being with these guys. And, um, you know, it really fits. Uh, the pro these guys fit the profile of what we're looking for and it's you know being hard working uh you know no ego being you know um collaborative it's gonna be a very collaborative uh project so yeah there is a bunch of you know there's a bunch of uh new parts i guess as you say obviously to this weird weird start to this season but uh uh yeah there has been some new additions as well as a new goalie uh on the ice too so um, but I think, uh, I think for me anyway, having a uh, prior uh, relationships with these guys and knowing their personalities, uh, I think it's going to make everything, uh, much smoother, uh, and more beneficial There's going to be more alignment from top to bottom within our organization. Um, so I, you know, those are obviously the benefits of, of doing it this way. And, and like I said, not a new, not a new concept, but, uh, something that, uh, you know, I give, uh, props to, to Marty Broder for really getting this thing implemented and off the ground. You mentioned the new goalie, Corey Crawford, uh, you were part of the recruitment, so to speak. Uh, uh well, it was recruitment. He was a free agent signee. Uh, you know, what did, what did you do uh, what part of the process did you play in that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, much like every, you know, every year you're, you're at the, when the season concludes, you know, you, you're putting together off season plan. What, you know, what do we need? Uh, do we need a, a, a sign a goalie uh, for the NHL level? Do we need to sign a goalie for the AHL level, East coast league level? What do we need? Do we want to sign a free agent, uh, college free agent? What, what do you know, what, what do you need? What are you looking for? And each year is going to be different. Uh, and you look internally first, is this guy ready? Is that guy ready? Ready? Does he need more time? Where's he at in his career? Um, if we think he's maybe a year away, well, maybe we need, then we still need to sign, you know, a free agent, but let's sign a free agent to a one-year deal instead of a three-year deal, right? Because we think he might be ready. So, you know, there's a lot of jockeying that goes, you know, goes on, but obviously heading into this off season, 
Um, and the decision that we made with, with Corey and, and parting ways with Corey there, it, it opened the door um, for, you know, a spot in the NHL. Um, then you, like as I said before, you look internally first, you know, is, uh, you know, is Gilles Sen, is, is Evan Cormier, are those guys ready? Um, and our, you know, our thought was, you know, these guys just, you know, just played their first full season, one full season of, of pro hockey within our organization under their belt. So they're probably not ready, need some more time to cook, which is fine. And uh, so now you decide, okay, well, we got to go out and we got to sign someone, right? Um, and it starts with just doing some simple, you know, scouting uh, on these guys. So, you know, you create a list. Okay, here's our goalie list. Here's our top guy that we would like to have. Here's, But it really comes down to fit. It really comes down to fit. You know, there's a lot of good goalies out there. You, you're you looking at who's going to fit your organization the best, you know? I mean, it's similar to, to going out there and shopping for a car. What, what do you need? You need a truck, you need a van, you know, a sports car. What, what do you, what do you need? What do you want? What's going to best fit our organization, what we have already and what we need. Um, you know, and you're looking at a guy like Corey Crawford, um, where he's come from, um, his, the, the pedigree that he's had playing on, on some of those good, good teams, uh, and winning cups in, in Chicago and then playing on some teams in the past couple of years that he's, had to kind of carry them a little bit more, right? And and I think he's actually grown as a goalie a little bit in his past few years being in those circumstances. Um, also a veteran guy that we compare with a younger McKenzie Blackwood uh, that can be a, that role model for him. So, uh, you know, Corey was a guy that checked a lot of our, our boxes that, that we need. Uh, and so that's obviously the reason why we identified him. He was on my list, uh, you know, when going through all the goalies and it was probably – 15 goalies on the list, right? It was kind of a heavy, uh, in terms of quantity, it was pretty heavy goalie market this year. Um, but, uh, but then, yeah, then I, and then I shoved it over to Marty's desk and he had to make all the calls and, uh, you know, speak French to, to Corey and <laughs> get that, get that, get that part done. So. That's the best part, right? He's like the ultimate closer, right? When it, I think we joked about that before, Clem. Like he's the yeah. ultimate closer when it comes to convincing a goaltender, this is where you want to be. Yeah, and Marty wants to be a part. Of it. He's great and he's awesome too, right? He wants to be a part of it. And I've, I mean, can you imagine yourself as a, as a goal? It doesn't matter if you're Corey Crawford or you're Nico Dodds, who we just drafted this summer. Yeah. You get a phone call from Marty Brodeur. You know, you're, you're pretty excited at that point, right? Indeed. Well, Scott and Amy, thanks very much for sharing your time on another podcast. We'll find out whether Corey Crawford's a truck, a sedan, an SUV. He collects cars. So well, yes, he does. What what kind of vehicle the devil's got in him? But championship pedigree, and he'll help the cause for sure. Thanks very much for your time, guys. Thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Well, that was a lot of fun because I think we got to see a different side of the organization, not just players and coaches, but two of the very finest people who help make the Devils what they are. Yeah. And I mean, just those insights into behind the scenes, like, you know, thinking back to the story that Clemmer shared about Mackenzie Blackwood in the ECHL, right? Mm -hmm. So it really goes so far back into these guys' careers. Um, And then that amazing story about scouting Nico Heischer and, you know, just seeing what, what they're really looking for in order to see whether they fit with the culture, the mold of what they want their franchise to be. That to me, honestly, Matt, like I've known Amy and I've known uh, Clemmer now for the last four years. That was just to me, that was fascinating. And I've had conversations with them before, but to me, that that was that was a really awesome conversation. 
Two things uh, among the many things that I took away, but two things I'll touch upon here. One is the devil's changing how they're approaching yeah. goaltending. They certainly want excellence, but they're getting a goaltending unit together, coaching unit together, which is fabulous. And as uh, Clemmer said, you know, kudos to uh, management and to ownership for seeing that that's an important step to take. And that put the devil's a little bit ahead of everyone else. And the other thing is the scavenger hunt. What can you <laughs> tell us about the scavenger? Okay. So even I was lost. Okay. So there was, there was two, there was one that Amy had set up and she mentioned it a little bit about wanting them to get to, to get familiar with Prudential Center, where people sat, you know, the important pieces of who they were going to be working with once they joined the franchise. So they would be these like clues. So I guess like for me, let's say they were supposed to come to my desk and talk to me. The clue would be like, you see her in the room with a mic in her hand, where does she sit? And then they'd have to like go through the building and come to me and talk to me. And then I'd have a question about media. Not a, I'd have like a, something to talk to them about media training and just sort of like how to approach the media and what's good, what you should and shouldn't do. And then I'd give them the next clue and they'd have to go find someone else, whether it's, you know, like Marie Carnival, where it'd be like, this person takes care of all your travel needs. Who am I? And then they'd have to go find Marie. So I thought that was like genius, right? To get to know the little pieces of, of the franchise that work behind the scenes. Yeah, pretty cool. Well, uh, thanks for sharing that insight. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll wrap things up on this edition of Speak of the Devils. For my good friend and colleague, Amanda Stein, I'm Matt Lachlan. Thank you for your company. Until next time, be safe, be well. So long, everybody. 